0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much he loves us starts right now.
1: All right, church, let me bring you up to speed this morning about where we left off. Okay, very, very, very important. You need to know what's going on so that you can understand exactly what we're going to talk about next. Jesus, our Jesus had just died, if you will, an excruciating, painful death on a Roman cross. I want you to feel the weight of that, okay? Because we get, we, get, we get going in life and, and, and we get to 2019, 2020, whatever it might be. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross, amen, let's go. I've got to get my kids to soccer. But I want you to feel the weight of, of really what this is. I mean, Jesus has just died, And he just died this excruciating, painful death on a cross. That's kind of where we left him. Now, let me backtrack just a little bit so you feel the weight of this. Right before that, Jesus was scourged. Do you guys remember that? Pilate, Pilate of all people in an effort to try to appease the crowd said, hey, 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 let me do this. Let Let me scourge him so you guys calm down. So they took my Jesus. Do you remember? They stripped his clothes off, tied him to a pole, and they whipped him. And they whipped him 39 times and and his flesh all around was being ripped off the nerves and the muscles and and just, just a bloody mess. And hoping the crowd, if you recall, they're just hoping the crowd. And so what he does, he goes, maybe this will do it. And he brings them out of the praetorium and the crowd is in front of him. And he says, not guilty. Do you remember Pilate pronounced him not guilty? And the crowd yelled all the more, crucify him, crucify him. And I was just touched by that. And you go, why? Because there's a couple of things. I don't understand as Jesus stood there in a blood-soaked robe with a crown of thorns on his head, with his beard pulled out, and the people would yell, crucify him. I said, how could you do that? But another thing that bothers me is if I was there, would I be yelling, crucify him? Would I be the one going, hey, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who this dude is, but kill him anyway, right? Right, right. And, and, And there's so many people that would do that. And yet there he is. There he is. And then I would ask somebody, you know, what, what was his crime? What did he do? Well, he claimed to be the son of God. That's it? He looks like this to be the son of God. And, and there he is. And he says, not guilty. And yet, guess what? Guess what? They yelled, crucify him, crucify him. You see, it wasn't enough, guys. This Jesus stood there. That purple robe now soaked in blood. The crown of thorns on his head. His beard pulled out of his face. See, his that wasn't enough. His mission was the cross. He was headed towards the cross, and if that wasn't enough, at this point Pilate said, "Okay, well, we'll crucify him." He was told to carry a hundred-pound crossbeam, right, on his bloody, wearied back on the way down the Via della Rosa, on the way to Calvary, a hundred-pound crossbeam. And when he got there, they laid him down on that pole, and they. They crucified him. They nailed him to a cross. They nailed him. And if you recall last week, we actually said as Jesus died, right? As Jesus died, he actually died of a broken heart. The word of God tells us that. As a matter of fact, the word of God tells us he died of a broken heart. You go, how so? In John chapter 19, verse 33, it says, but when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and they didn't break his legs. That's going to be important in just a moment. It said, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed. So you got Jesus standing about two feet in the cross, right? He's already dead. They take a spear, boom, water, blood and water. His heart had exploded. Will you go, Ben, how does his heart explode? How how did this happen? Well, let me see if I can paint this picture. When Jesus was on the cross, they took the arms and they stretched him as hard as they can do. You go, why would they stretch him? Well, they stretched him out because because if he had any ounce of his arms, he could pull himself up and get air in his lungs, okay? But what they would do is they'd pull his arms stretched out, right? Now, here's what we know, okay? I'm just going to give you two schools of thought, wherever it doesn't matter. But some people believe that Jesus died with one foot in front of the other, on with one nail in between with a little beam coming up so he could step up just a little bit, just a little bit, okay? And that's tradition. That's most people say, right, two nails, three nails, two on his arms and one on, and, and that's fine. But what they found recently is they found that there was an a ankle bone with a nail that was driven sideways, which would indicate that he was actually nailed to the cross sideways, Either way, either way, it was just enough where he could lift up, get some air, and then go back down. Okay, and with now, now remember, he's been scourged, he's been beaten, he's got no life, his body's swelling, there's blood everywhere, and just enough, and he would stay there for the next few minutes for for as long as he could before he was like, okay and he would pull himself up. That's Jesus going on, right? That's why when they said, "We need to break the legs," that was the reason why. If you broke the legs, he'd have no more strength to get air. And so there's Jesus. There's Jesus. And I started to think about I started to think about the cross. If you knew you were condemned to die on a cross, there wasn't a whole chance you were going to make it through the night. But I was thinking about this right now. You've got, you've got one on the right, one on the left, Jesus in the middle, and every one of them are pushing themselves up to just get some air. And I'm thinking, well, you know, you're going to die. Why don't you just, because God put in us, guys, the sanctity of life. He put in us to fight for life no matter what. And even though they're going to die in, in, in a matter of moments or hours or whatever it might be, they're still trying to fight for their life. And I thought, wow. Wow. And right before Jesus died, I want to, I want to paint this, guys. Right before Jesus died, as his heart exploded and blood and water came out into his cavity, he said seven things. Seven things that Jesus said on the cross. I find them very interesting. Let me give them to you. You can take notes. Some people refer to these as the seven words, but There's also a debate on the exact order, but let me give them to you. Let me let you feel the weight of this, okay? These are the first things that Jesus said, the seven things that Jesus said. He's on the cross. You guys picture the scene? There he is. (sighs) He can barely breathe. These are it. In Luke 23, 34, here's what he says. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Can you believe that? Father, that, uh, time out, time out. Are you telling me my Jesus is on the cross, he's beaten to an inch of his life, he's nailed to a cross, and what he says, he's thinking about me, he's thinking about you? you got to know he's God. Why, church? Because if that was you on the cross, if that was me on the cross, I'm not asking for your forgiveness, I'm calling down angels to to toast y'all. You know what I'm talking about? I'm like, God, kill them all, not God. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And then the second thing he says, guys, is found in Luke 23 and 43. And he's talking to the, the one thief on the cross. And he says, "Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow. Wow. And then... Just in a beautiful effort in John chapter 19, 26 and 27, remember, he says, woman, talking to his mother, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. Do you guys realize the implication of that? He just told his mom goodbye. He just told his mom goodbye. Mom, you're going to go live with him now. Take care of my mom. In Matthew 27, 46, check it out. This is another saying from the cross. He said, Eli, Eli, Lama sabachthani. Okay, he he quoted that and it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the weight of our sin crushing him on the cross. And he says, My God, my God. Do you realize that? You realize let me just just give you a negative truth real quick, okay? Do you realize that up until this point he was always saying, My father? My father, this is my father, my father in heaven. And on the cross when he's about to die, what did he say? My God, my God. Truly God and truly man. You go, what else did he say? Well, you guys know this, John 19 and 28, he said, I'm thirsty, showing his humanity. And then in John twenty nine thirty, he said, it is finished. Now, I love that, why? Because he doesn't say it's partially finished. Yeah, it's halfway done. Now you got to do the other part. You got to do your part, okay? You got to be good. Be good for goodness sake. No, he said it is finished. Done. It's completed at the cross. And then he says in Luke 23:46, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." So all of these things he said at the cross, right? And at that point, Jesus died. Well, what happened when Jesus died? Well, the one thing we discovered last week, if you recall, the temple, okay, the veil at the temple, picture this, the veil, guys, is six inches thick and it hangs from top to bottom. And the Bible says that when Jesus died, well, some things happened. You go, what are they? Well, over in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27 and verse 51, it says, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked. And the rocks were split. So Jesus dies, and there's this huge earthquake. (sniffs) Wait, that's a coincidence, is it? Is it? Can you imagine if you didn't know what was going on in Jerusalem, and there you are at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You go, whoa, did you feel that? That was heavy. I felt. And then the Bible says this. Check it out. In Luke 23, 45, then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. So now all of a sudden, everything gets dark. Everything gets dark. And you go, Ben, what was the implication? Guys, grab that, grab that. What was the implication? Here's what he was saying, man. Listen, first of all, number one, the God that created everything in us, we were now nailing to a cross. And he had just died. The earth shook and trembled. Even creation knew the power and the extent of the Lord's death. Even creation knew. But then something miraculous happened. The temple veil went. We go, what does that mean? What does that mean? The most glorious thing ever. You go, what does it mean? Here's what I want you to see. It means, guys, it means it was separating the holy of holies from the rest of the world in the temple. And it showed from top to bottom. I mean, God did it, right? Because if I was going to tear something, it'd probably be from the bottom, but I'm not going to tear anything that's six inches thick. God did this. You go, what does it mean, Ben? It means that we have access to God now. You go, what do you mean? We have access to God, guys. It signified something so amazing. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, jot this down. By his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain of the High. This is a new life, right? This is a new life. It was just, it was so amazing. As a matter of fact, guys, it gave us access to the Lord. It gave us access. We no longer had to go, listen to me, through religious rituals or routines anymore.
0: We had access
1: to God. I mean, that. it doesn't, come on, come on, let's be serious. Doesn't that blow your mind? Why? Because we can't get close to to people here on earth and God says, no, come on in. I'm giving you, I'm granting you access. Like, like we can't just go up to the president, right? We just can't. I mean, they'll tackle you, right? Hey, I need to talk to Mr. Trump, you know? If it, okay, okay, so it's not even the president, but what about somebody famous? I mean, if there's just somebody famous, they're still like, hey, 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 everybody back up, everybody, uh-uh, let him through, let him through. And you're like, hey, I just want to, I just want to talk to him. I just want to talk to him. I mean, it's hard to get grant access, but with God, he says, listen, here's what that means. You can talk to God. You can t- you can t- You can talk to God, yeah, yeah. You go, what else does it happen? What else happened? Go, you realize something amazing happened? As a result of Jesus dying, temple veil going into according to Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Then the word of God prospered. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased dramatically, and it says, not least a great many priests submitted themselves to the faith. You go, what happened? The religious dudes got saved. Isn't that a blessing? Can I get an amen? Isn't it awesome when religious people get saved? man, isn't it awesome? Why? Because sometimes they're so caught up in religion. They're so caught up in, in how they were brought up. And then they see the light and it's like, I remember being a religious dude. I wasn't a very good one, but I remember being religious. And listen, and, and, I, and this, this is the honest truth. I mean, I mean, we were taught, this is the religion we stay in. This is, this is the road you, this is your lane and you don't get off that lane. And all the people that are like you are going to be in heaven. Everybody else is not. I mean, that's just the stuff they teach us. But I'm going to to share that in just a little bit with you, okay? So we know that there it is. Jesus died, and, and, and God died, and Jesus died on the cross. Now, what do you think they want to happen, right? They don't want to leave him on the cross. They need to bury him. They need to bury him as soon as possible. You go, why? Everybody say, why? Because it was the Sabbath. You go, yeah, I remember that. But it was also the first day of unleavened bread. Okay, so it's kind of, it's called a high Saturday. It's called a high Sabbath. It means they had to get Jesus off the cross. Now, remember, he died at three o'clock, right? Sabbath starts at six. We got to hurry. We got to get him off the cross. Okay, we got to do something because we don't want him on the cross. Cursed is the man who hangs on the tree, Deuteronomy says. We got to get him off. So what do we do? And, and, and again, that's what we're going to find out. They want to get him. They want to get him. and They want to get him. Now, let me tell you where we're going this morning, okay? Jesus has died. And the portion that we're going to cover, guys, we're going to talk about his burial for just a little bit, okay? We're going to talk about that for just a moment on his glorious, on his way to the glorious resurrection. But I wanted to bring up where we were because I want to see what's going to happen next, okay? We're going to look at some application for our lives. Here's why. In verses 38 through 42, if you just read it, you go, what, how can I apply this? How, how am I going to take this to my job tomorrow? What am I? What am some of the stuff I'm struggling with? But I want to show you that we can apply it both spiritually, stay with me, and then physically in the end. Spiritually and physically. You with me? Give me an amen if you're with me. Okay, let's go. Let's jump in. I want to introduce you this morning to some people, some key people who are on the same journey just like us. Okay? The first guy, his name is Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, okay? Arimathea was about 20 miles from Jerusalem. That's where he lived. He's coming in for the Passover. Now, what do we know about Joseph? Let's pick it up in verse 38. It says, after this. After what, Ben? After Jesus has died, it's about 3 p.m., and Joseph realizes that Jesus must be buried. After this, Joseph from Arimathea, look at it, guys, being a disciple of Jesus... But secretly, for fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. May I introduce you to Joseph? What does he do? First and foremost, guess what we learn about him? He goes to Pilate, and he says, I need the body. The Sabbath is coming. It's the first day of unleavened bread. Let's go. Let's go. I need the body. Okay? That's who he is. That's what he's doing. Now, let me tell you what we know about Joseph. You ready? Let's get some let's get some application. He's on a journey with Jesus. It's a little bit different than our journey. Why? Because listen, the Bible says that he's a disciple of Jesus. It says he's a disciple. Okay? He's not just a follower from a fall. He's not just kind of going, hey, I've heard about this Jesus. The Bible says he was a disciple of Jesus. But the problem is, is the next line. You go, what does that mean? It says that he was a disciple of Jesus, but nobody knew about it because he feared the Jews. Feared the Jews. You go, what does the fear of the Jews mean? Well, there's a, there's a little um, title for it. It's called Judeophobia, and it's fear of the Jews. You go, know, what do you mean? The Jews or the religious establishment, guys, was so strong, okay? The power or so-called power behind the religion, the Jewish religion, was very, very strong that you just didn't mess with it, okay? And many people would dare not break it. You didn't want to go against them. Why? Let me, just play, let me see if I can paint this as because you would get kicked out of church, you would get kicked out of the synagogue. You would say they would, they would banish you from Jerusalem. You couldn't go to the three feasts you were supposed to. I mean, it was a big deal, okay? So, so Joseph of Arimathea has some fears, okay? He's on this journey. He's a disciple, but he has some fears, man. He's got some things in his heart, man. He's got some issues that he's dealing with. You go, well, who was he? Who was he? Well, what we learn, guys, is that Joseph of Arimathea was actually part of the Sanhedrin. You remember the Sanhedrin? These are the 70 dudes that actually said, crucify him, get him crucified, okay? We talked about the six trials, right? But he was the only dude that stood up and said, no, 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 that's not right. Let's not do this. Joseph, he was a disciple. He's going, wait, 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 we we can't condemn him. 69 dudes are going, seriously? He's like, what? And that's Joseph. That's Joseph. He opposed the council's decision, but in fact, he was a secret follower of Jesus. We know that according to Matthew, Jesus was, or Joseph was a wealthy man, okay. and we don't know where he, the source of his wealth was, but we know he was wealthy, and the Bible refers to him as good and upright. So he's a good and upright, wealthy man. We know he has a tomb, and we know he wants the body, okay? You go, Ben, what can we learn from Joseph? What can we learn? You ready? I believe that there are a lot of people that can relate to him today. You go, what do you mean? I think there are many today that fear something or someone. They fear something. There's some fear in them. And and here's the thing, they may or may not even be a a, a believer. They may or may not be a believer, but they're not following Jesus because of fear. They're not really, they're not really well, nobody knows. Nobody knows. You go, know, what do you mean? Well, let me give you my testimony for just a moment. I'll never forget, guys, when at the age of 17, I got saved. I'll never forget, man, my, my best friend in high school would just tell me about the Lord. He'd tell me his dad was a pastor and all this stuff. Now, I grew up in a very uh, Catholic, traditional, religious home. Okay, that's how I grew up right? And I didn't know any better. And I knew this though. I knew that if, if you just didn't leave the Catholic church, okay? Family was tight in the religious system there, man. They would you, you could be ostracized. You could be kicked out. You could be disowned. You just didn't do it, okay? So there was some fear in me. And I remember when I got saved, I remember when, when the scales fell from my eyes and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. I said, man, I need Jesus. And at that point, I didn't care about religion. I just knew I needed Jesus. I needed Jesus, okay? But I also had some fears, Okay, I had some fears. I, had, I feared, I feared what was going to happen, right? So, so the problem with fear is I couldn't tell anybody that I got saved. I couldn't tell anybody that I was a born-again Christian. And so I'd go home, and I'd watch my, my, my brothers, and I'd watch my dad, and I'd just be like, hmm mm-hmm. And I had this fear, and it wouldn't let me be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I remember sitting at times, you know, and it was, it, it was crazy because I remember right about 6.30 every Wednesday night. Okay, Dad, I'll see you later. I'm going to go to my friend Abel's, and I was going to church. And then, like, if I, you know, sometimes kids think they're real smart, but I remember getting up probably pretty early on a Sunday morning. Hello? Right? Teenagers don't get up early on Sunday morning unless they're born again, saved, and really fired up for God. But anyways, that's, that was me. <laughs> And I'm thinking, my dad will never know. I'm going to keep it because I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't want him to know. But he's like, where are you going at 8.30 in the morning? Where are you going, dude? And so he knew. And I'll never forget, guys, the day that I went trembling and I had to tell him. I had to tell him. We had come to that impasse. We had come to that and I had to tell him and I had to say, dad, I'm sorry, but I'm not a Catholic. I am a born again Christian. And I thought, am I going to be disowned? I'm going to be disowned, the whole family. You don't understand. Aunts, uncles, cousins would be Disowned. And I remember with, with a gracious heart, he looked at me and he said, well, Mejito, you believe what you think is right and I believe what I think is right. Ah,
0: thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
1: Well, then at that point, I was on a mission to get him saved. You know what I'm talking about? But, but nonetheless, and nonetheless, but, but I know what it's like to have some fear, guys. And I know like, For Joseph right now, he may feel like he's buried, right? Now, we know that Jesus is going to be buried in a tomb. Everybody got that? But I wonder if Joseph is feeling like he's buried, not physically, but he's buried by fear. He feels buried. I think he feels that way right now. I think a lot of us feel that way. But here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking one day after the resurrection, that fear is going to go away, don't you think? When he comes to the realization of who Jesus is and what's going to... Oh, you are God. Fear's going to fade into the background. And Joseph is going to grow like never before. Now, here's the difference. There's a lot of people who feel like they're buried with fear. But I'd like to change that word from buried to planted. He's just planted for right now. God's still working on him. He, he secretly... I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian. I don't want anybody to know. Shh. I don't want to, I don't know, man. I just... The, the repercussions, man, they're going to take my 401k. And you know what? I'm going to lose this. And I'm going to lose that. And I'm going to lose my, my company car. I just know. And then the resurrection, he's like, you know what? That doesn't matter. All that matters is Jesus. That's Joseph. Anybody can relate? I, I believe that there are a lot of people that relate. There's a lot of fear in them, a fear of the unknown. Of something is holding them back from fully jumping in. Something, some sort of fear. Joseph feels, like a lot of people, he feels buried with fear, but in fact, he's planted and Jesus is about to water that plant. Who's the next fella? The next fella on our list, guys, is Nicodemus. Look at verse 39. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. You guys remember Nick? This was Nick at night, right? Nick at night. He came to Jesus by night. Why would he come to Jesus by night, right? Well, we, we, we learned some stuff about Nicodemus, right? First and foremost, we know he's a Pharisee, okay? We also know he was part of the Sanhedrin, okay? So, so he, he was a Pharisee. He was part of the group, guys, the group of Jews who were, who were just, I mean, uh, fastidious, if you will, in keeping the letter of the law. I mean, they were just, mm. and often opposed Jesus throughout his ministry. These are the Pharisees. These are the religious guys. Nicodemus is that dude. He's that guy. And like Joseph, he was a member of the Sanhedrin who was the ruling body. So you go, okay, so who was it? Okay, your attention, Joseph. Joseph is part, he's a religious guy, part of the Sanhedrin, part of the Jewish council. Boom, boom, boom. He's a disciple, but he nobody knows about it. Nobody knows. Nicodemus, Nicodemus is, he's even a little bit more religious, right? He's he's a Pharisee, okay? He's part of the Jewish council that said crucify him. But he came to Jesus back in John chapter 3 by night. He wants to find out what's what's, what's, what's up with this. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, man, listen, listen. Nick, it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship. They were both followers of Jesus. They were both followers of Jesus, guys. And a limited account, a limited account of John's gospel leaves us kind of many questions. What happened to Nicodemus? And it would appear that Nicodemus may have had a similar, you know, had have been similar to Joseph and Arimathea, and perhaps he too was a disciple. I'm pretty sure you know, when you spoke to Joe, here Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Everybody who met Jesus for real were changed. When he came to Jesus by night, Jesus spoke to him, boom. We don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't say. John doesn't say. But I believe that, that they were, I mean, they were, I think they were both disciples, but they hadn't really mustered the courage, if you will, to declare his faith openly. Ever been there? Ever been there where you're just like, oh, I'll never forget, I was sitting on the couch one day, I think I was probably 18 years old, 19 years old, and my brothers had always been my biggest heroes and everything, and, and I remember my older brother, he doesn't know this, but my older brother looked at me, and it was, it was the time of the Jesus movement, right, people were getting born again, and my brother looked at me, and he goes, are you born again? And I just freaked out, I was like, uh, no, you know, I was just scared, I just, I mean, I'm, you know, and, and I remember feeling just like this, I just didn't have the courage to say yes at that point cuz people can be intimidating don't you think But I think we can relate with Nick you see Nick's not afraid Nick went to Jesus by night he he wanted to see what's up But I think with Nick life isn't easy at times And I think for us it's easy to feel overwhelmed it's easy to feel like you're buried I wonder if you've ever felt buried under the problems of life. Under the decisions to make. Circumstances. Or, you know, I mean, just situations. I think that's what Nick is going through. He's got, he's got a lot of issues. And, and I mean, and, and there he is. I mean, there, I think he's feeling buried. You see, he's not like Joseph over here. Fear, you know. I don't know what people are going to think. You know, blah 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 blah. I think he's just got a lot of things on his mind that's keeping him. You might even say, Nick. This is just for the uh, for y'all. You might even think, say, Nick was an overthinker. He overthought stuff, and he's just like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know, blah 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 blah. What if and all this stuff, and and he's and he's just allowing the circumstances. But I believe Nick, guys, was not buried in circumstances, but he was planted for growth. I think Nick, later on, became a great leader for the Lord, a great leader. Now, here's what we know. We don't know a whole lot. There's not a whole lot of sources outside the Bible. We know that unreliable, but there is something called the Gospel of Nicodemus, believe it or not, as well as other apocryphal books, but... They indicate that Nicodemus actually, check this out, lost his position as a Pharisee. Stands to reason. Don't you agree? If you become a disciple, you lose your your standing as a Pharisee. He was actually kicked off the Sanhedrin and eventually banished from Jerusalem by the hostile Jews. Doesn't that make sense? Listen, when we're radical for Jesus, you can count on that happening. When you're radical for Jesus, you go, wait a minute, people are going to kick me out of the... No, no, no. What happens, guys, is that they don't want to be your friend anymore. And they used to call you to party, and they used to call you to do this, and not anymore. Not anymore. Joseph and Nick, guys, were very much like Paul. Pharisees, the Pharisee, members of the Sanhedrin. Here's what I need you to I need you to grasp: They were both very powerful men. Didn't mean anything. Both very wealthy, didn't mean anything. Both very influential. But here's what listen to me. But both of them were willing to lose all of that for the purpose of receiving eternal life and being born again. They were willing to say, Man, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. You see, Jesus told us in John 3, 3, get, get this, guys. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is so important. That is so important. You see, because it's a work of the Lord. It's not, it's not a prayer you pray, although I'm, I'm a big fan of leading people in prayer. But it's not the words because words alone aren't sufficient to save. It's a relationship. It's you being born again, and that's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. And I believe that there's a strong, strong reason to believe that these two men were just that. They were born again. They were born again. So, who have we introduced? You've seen Joseph. Fear. Fear's kept him from following Christ. Nicodemus, circumstances, work, problems, things like that, kept him from following Christ. But now you got another fella. Let me introduce you to Jesus, right? This is who the whole story is about. Jesus is the third fella. Look at verse 19. It says, then they took the body of Jesus, because he's dead. They bound it in strips of linen with spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now you go, well, Ben... Those two guys are alive. Jesus is dead. Yeah, yeah, but stay with me, okay? Because now they buried him. Now, the place where he was crucified was in the garden, in the the garden, a new tomb, which no one had been laid in. So there they laid Jesus because the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Okay, so now we have, here's the story. Jesus is dead. They take him off the cross and they lay him in a tomb. Now, here's what they want to do. Let me, let me just go over this real quick so you get a good idea. The way they buried people in that day was quite different than the way we do. Okay, you go. Know, what is that? They would find a empty cave or a tomb, okay? And then they would wrap the body in linen clothes. And then what they would do, guys, is they would seal the tomb for a year, now, if you go to Israel today, you can see all over Israel there's going to be caves and tombs. If you talk about the guy in the Gadarenes, right, the demon possessed guy, he was hanging out, they said, among the tombs. In my mind, I used to think he was hanging out in the cemetery, you know, with the headstones, but that's not really what it was. It was up in the mountains with caves because that's where they would bury people. And so what they would do, guys, is they would, at times, if it was in the city, They would take the stone and they would cover the tomb and they'd leave it there for a year. And what would happen after a year is the body would decompose. After a year, they'd go, oh, Jesus has been dead a year. Let's open up the tomb. And what would they find, guys? Just his bones. And so they'd take his bones out of that and they would take it and put it in a little box. And then they would bury the bones. That's what they do. If you go to Israel today, you'll see a lot of small, like, you go, that, that can't be a grave. Yeah, it's only about this big because they've buried the bones, which means they can use the family tomb over and over and over for each generation, you know, because you just use it, boom, you know. I, I would assume that if two people died within six months, you could open it up and kind of go, oh, and close it back up. That's kind of how they would do it with bones. The thing about it is this. He told the disciples, guys, that he would rise again. He told them, hey, by the way, I'm going to die. I'm going to hand it over, but I'm going to rise again. Y'all with me? And everybody goes, "Hey, man!" but they didn't believe. Why? I don't think they really believe it because they took hold and they sought to bury him in the traditional way, right? Here comes here comes Nicodemus with, with all the spices and they want to make sure that his, the body's going to decompose. He's like... Listen, if you really believed that he was going to raise in three days, you'd be like, "All right, just leave him there wouldn't you, wouldn't you? Here's what happens happens here's what happens, right? Sometimes when God does something amazing in our lives, like like the resurrection, something like, like He says something amazing, then sometimes when we don't see it, our faith kicks out. And we go back to just the natural. I don't know. What do you think? Well, Jesus said it. I know he said it, but I don't know. I haven't seen it. Huh. No, he said, I'm going to raise. We got to have faith. We got to have faith. See, he told them, right? He told them. Now, listen, in three weeks, in three weeks, we're going to celebrate that resurrection. We're going to celebrate him coming out of the grave. Why? Because we know that our God's not buried, is He? He simply planted for three days, right? He simply planted for three days. He will rise and the resurrection will be awesome. But here's what you need to learn about the resurrection. I don't know if you get this, okay? Because here's what we do. We get so busy in our lives that when it comes to resurrection, we go, yep, resurrection, amen. Easter, hey! But the resurrection means so much to us, guys. Do you realize that the resurrection gives you power? Power. I love that. We're going to talk about that. It brings comfort. Who doesn't need comfort in this world? I want that comfort. But I don't want the comfort the way God, the, way the world gives it. I want God's comfort. The resurrection brings peace. It brings peace. But we miss that and we go, Easter. No, no, it's the resurrection. We're going to talk about that in three weeks. But Here's what I want to do. Let's close our study this morning, guys. And uh, we talked about who? We talked about Joseph of Arimathea. We talked about Nicodemus. We've spent a little time with Jesus. We'll, we'll look at him more in depth in the next two weeks, okay? And, and, but here's what I want to do. The, the one, one group of people I didn't bring up that I want to talk about now is me and you. That's what I want to talk about, me and you. Okay, because we've talked about Joseph, we talked about Nicodemus, we talked about Jesus, but how about you and I? You go, what do you mean? Well, let's talk application. Can we get serious with the Lord for a moment? You go, yes, sir. You see, because I believe, I believe. Maybe you're here this morning and you can strongly relate to Joseph. Who lived in Arimathea? You can relate, man. Fear has gripped your heart. The fear of something, the fear of someone, the fear of circumstances, the fear, it has gripped you and it's keeping you from all that God has for you. Maybe fear this morning, church, has kept you from the real and true relationship with Him. It has. And nobody goes, oh, you shouldn't be afraid. You should be a believer. No, what I'm saying is I was there. Hello? But don't let it keep you there. You see, Joseph was called a disciple. What if fear is keeping us from being a true disciple? A true disciple. One who sold out. You go, Pastor Ben, man, that's me. That's me. I'm afraid of what my parents will think. I'm afraid of what my husband will think. I'm afraid of what my wife will think. I'm afraid of what my boss will think. I'm afraid. I'm just, I'm, I just have this fear. I, I, I'm afraid of what my life would really look like if I was sold out to Jesus. Would I have to give up stuff? And fear's got you. And fear's got you. Or, or, or maybe you're not, you go, Ben, that, that's not me. That's not me. I'm not, I'm not afraid of anything. I don't have that fear. Maybe you're like Nick. Maybe you can relate to Nick, man. And you're more like Nick. And here's the problem circumstances. Circumstances have kept you. Something's going on. Circumstances. Concerns. Oh man, I don't know. I just I'll tell you what keeps us from Jesus. Problems. We got problems. I think of problems, man. I think, I think of problems in, in, even in the marriage, right? Because I've, I've had ladies come up to me and go, man, I just pray my husband would be a believer. I just pray. I just, I'm tired of going to church alone. And then the husband gets saved and he gets radical for Jesus. And I have the same complaint from the woman going, he's too radical for Jesus. <laughs> well, you wanted him to get saved? Yeah, but not that saved. <laughs> well, what kind of save did you want? You want somebody who's going to love Jesus more than you? Well, no, because there's problems. There's problems. There's, pro- there's circumstances. Nick is going, man, I just, I don't know, man, I don't know. And then, I mean, Nick, religion, religion's another thing. Being, being caught with the, the circumstances of religion, I don't mind, what are people going to say if I get saved? What are people going to say if I really follow Jesus? man. I just don't know. I just don't know. I mean, seriously. What about this? Work. Work will always keep you. Because you know how it is. You know how it is. I give my life to Jesus. I follow Jesus. Really? You got to start working Sundays now? What? That wasn't in the contract. Yes, it is now. You keep your job, right? And you're just like, oh, man. And that's how the enemy works. And Maybe you feel like Nick this morning. Maybe you feel like Nick. Let me say this. After the resurrection, after Jesus resurrected, Joseph's fear, it was gone. He's like, I don't care. Bury him in my tomb. Yeah, I'm a disciple. Nicodemus, yeah. You know what? I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm being kicked out of the Pharisees? All right. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. One more. Jesus died physically. He's put in a tomb right now, okay? There are two types of people in this world, two types. You ready? Those that are buried and those that are planted. Pastor, will you confuse me? No, no, no. Here's the thing. If you know Jesus, you're just planted. Because one day you're going to take your final breath here and we're going to put you in the ground, and we're going to mourn, and we're going to say, okay, but we're not going to bury you. We're going to just plant you. Because the Bible tells me that, what, at a twinkling of an eye, you're going to hear the trumpet of God, and you're going to be resurrected. You see, that's not buried. Buried is when you stay there, okay? You ever have the little um, fourth grade, you ever have the little fourth grade where you have to put a bean inside the the thing, and you have to bury your bean and, and water it and see if it grew? I haven't grown any beans since then. I mean, they're just, they're just, they just don't grow, you know? And we were poor, so we had to eat all the pinto beans. We couldn't, be, we couldn't be, like, burying them. If you know Jesus, guys, you're not buried, but you're planted. And in that day, all of your loved ones who are planted are coming out coming out of the grave, and you're going to see them again. Isn't that a glorious hope? And you don't have to be, listen to me, you don't have to be afraid of death when you're planted, but you better be worried about death if you're buried. That's the physical part. We'll talk about that next week. But you might be here today and you go, Pastor, I got to be honest with you. I feel like Joseph. I feel like Nicodemus. I don't even know. I'm. I. I don't know. Listen. I want you to remember. You're. You may feel like these guys, but you're one decision. Listen to me. You're one decision from coming back to Jesus. You're one decision away from a mature walk with God. You're one decision. You have to make that decision. You go, Pastor. What do I have to do? In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You go. What's that? I'm just going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Okay? Listen to me closely. I'm not asking you to believe in a bunch of Bible stories. I'm asking you to get born again. And only God does that. I'm just the invitee, and I want to invite you into the family of God. You won't regret it. You go, Pastor, what do I have to do? Well, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to just simply lift up your hand. If God is moving in your heart, you can feel him. Not my words, his... And I'm just asking you to lift your hand. Pastor, why do I have to lift my hand? Why? Well, I mean, people will see me. No, and, and it doesn't matter what people say. This is between you and God. And this is when you make a real commitment with Jesus and you say yes to him. Well, what happens if I raise my hand? I'll acknowledge you I say, God bless you. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. I see you. I just want to acknowledge you. Then I'll pray for you. And then we have our pastors going to just just pray with you and give you a Bible and encourage you and get you plugged in. It's between you and the Lord. Do I have to join your church? You don't have to join our church. We don't even have membership. This is between you and God. That's the most important thing, a relationship between you and him. If you're here today and you're full of fear, give it to him. If you're here today and circumstances have keeping you from from a, a full relationship with him, give it to him. If you're here today and you've never given your life to God, I'd encourage you today, simply lift up your hand. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you today for your great love. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your love. And God, today, we ask that you would just continue to move graciously and mightily. Father, there might be somebody here today that's buried, God, but, but now you're going to water that. You're going to water that heart, and they're going to grow, and they're going to resurrect. And I pray that it's a work of you, Lord, not me. That's why we're here, God, to honor and glorify you. With every eye closed and every head bowed, is there any of you here today that says, Pastor, you were talking to me. And I really, I just I just want a relationship with God. That's all I want. And I would ask that you would pray for me. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? Would you say, Pastor, pray for me? And I'll acknowledge you and then we'll pray for you. Don't worry, we won't. We're not going to bring you up front and parade you. We're just, going to, we're just going to love on you. So right now, in the quietness of your heart, would you just lift your hand and say, Ben, pray for me. I want Jesus today. Would you do that right now? If God is speaking to you, this between you and the Lord, all you have to do is just lift up your hand and say, right now, I want Jesus. Would you just lift up your hand and say, yes. Is there anybody here? Anybody this morning with the sound of my voice? Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for your great love. Thank you that you save us. Thank you for this message. We love you. It's in your name
0: we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the donate button on org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.